they say, I believe my people don't want to talk about that. We just want to work, right? We are here, look, they come here to the company, they just work and they're happy to leave at five again. And I always say like, I don't know many humans that say like, I don't care how we as a team interact and, and collaborate. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Loris, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Sylvan, and uh, hello to all the Swisspreneurs. Hello. Fantastic. You are the co-founder at Mood Talk, a software for clarity and structure on how teams work together successfully. Before we talk about your business, I actually want to start with your personal background. As soon as you finished your bachelor's, you moved to China for one year. Were you sort of answering the call for adventure? Why did you decide to go to China? Yeah, it's a bit, uh, let's say, a bit a random story, to be honest. Uh, my, my dream was always to go abroad for a year uh, because I did not do an exchange during my bachelor's degree. And then I was like, hey, I'm ready to go abroad and I want to work somewhere abroad. Yeah. And during my bachelor's, I worked for Implain and I already had the chance for a summer to go to Norway. So I experienced this kind of uh, adventure there. And mm -hmm. I was like, hey, I want to do this for one year. And my, my dream was to go to the U.S., um, and then I asked once my, my former boss, Bea, and said like, hey, you have also some connections. Do you know something uh, to go to the US? And then he said like, yeah, yeah, I know there, there is a, a friend of our CEO and he works in, in, in Atlanta. He has a company there. Let's do an interview there and, and then uh, this might work out. And they even got this job offering. But the problem was they would not have paid a salary for interns. And like going to the US, yes, I had some money on the side, but I was like, that's kind it's of expensive a, there, yeah. a difficult one. But then he said, hey, I have another friend. Um, he works for Swiss Snacks in Boston. Maybe you can go there because I know it's government. They pay some salary. So I contacted him. Um, he said like, hey, by the way, I'm now in Shanghai, <laughs> not, not in, 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 in the US, but I'm going to forward your CV to the CEO in Boston. Mm -hmm. But he uh, declined me, said like, no, we, need, uh, we don't need you. Uh, and then the, the guy in, in Pascal in Shanghai said like, yeah, then come to China. That's how <laughs> I ended up there. <laughs> so it sort of was your second or even third choice. So yeah, 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 I did not even think about China, to be honest. Uh, I was like, hey, the US, there is the future kind of, right? Or the past at least. And I was like, yeah, let's go there. But then it was a fantastic time in, in, in China. So you didn't regret going there after all? Not at all. It was fantastic. Amazing. Then you did come back to Switzerland after this year and you decided to get two masters in a row, like a double degree, one in accounting and finance and one in international management. Why was pursuing the masters sort of the right step for you when coming back? Yeah, I mean, I've first thought a lot about doing a, a master's in um, digital innovation. Um, I was like, ah, this is like also what I'm, I'm really interested in. Mm -hmm. But I've also thought, look, knowing the numbers, having a okay background in, in, in finance and accounting, it's also an asset. And I might never read an IFRS uh, book at home <laughs> before falling asleep. So I was like, hey, let's push a bit yourself and, and let's, let's do the accounting and finance masters. And then during the first semester, I've learned from another friend, David, that there is this second option of doing the, the temps. Mm -hmm. And I also just applied and somehow it, it worked out. And it was a, a great combination, more on the one side, the hard numbers uh, learning. And on the other side, it was a lot of project works, strategy management in the sense yeah. of theoretical management. And it was a good combination. 
But with that master, you know, afterwards, it would be the traditional way to either go into consulting or into banking. You decided to go and work for Voliro, a Swiss startup. Why the startup world? Yeah, it's interesting because also in the SEMS masters, once in a class, they ask like, yeah, what are your dreams or plans mm -hmm. after graduation? And they ask consulting, like around 60% say like, of course, of course consulting yeah. and, and especially three companies in consulting. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the rest was kind of banking or, or big corporate. And I was the only one who said like, no, I think startup, that's uh, what I'm fascinating about. Yeah. And one reason is the time I had in, in China where I could follow many inspiring startups that were also guests uh, at the Swisspreneur podcast. But then on the other side, it was especially I wrote my master's thesis for Voliro. So I kind of started to work part time for them and, and could write my master's thesis with them. And then I already had the food in and they were ready to, to invest in the business side. And then it was kind of, again, uh, the stars aligned and then I ended up in there. <laughs> but what made you want to swim against the tide? What was so captivating about the startup world that you wanted to go this way and not like all your peers to consulting, banking, etc.? Yeah, maybe it was also the experience in the, in the, at Implania, in the corporate world, yeah. where I realized, hey, there are some rules. I'm not always sure if I can handle these rules. Yeah. And I'm like one of the biggest values for me is freedom. Um, and there, of course, Startup <laughs> Worlds gives you uh, a lot of work, a lot of pressure, but also kind of a lot of freedom. And you can, I believe, learn super fast, uh, very interesting things. Um, of course, most of the time you have to make your hands dirty, or I think it's 99% of the time. Yeah. But I was always this kind of doer, and I was like, hey, let's try it. Uh, what can you uh, lose, right? So Absolutely. that was a bit the motivation. And then in 2021, you even decided to not only work in a startup, but to actually found your own startup. When was it when you really, you know, sort of decided, hey, I want to have my own company? Was that already back during your studies or did that thought and wish motivation sort of grow over time by being in a startup role yourself? Yeah, I think, of course, a lot was also the time at Voliro where you could see, hey, what, what do the founders do? What, what's going up there? But then, uh, like in 2020, end of 2020, I started a WhatsApp group with uh, four other friends where we did like every two weeks, a half an hour meeting and we did some idea sprints and brainstorming and whatever. And out of that, we did like several tests and thoughts. And at one point there was this Mootog idea mm -hmm. and I just realized, hey, I'm now really ready to start something by myself. I could learn like for 18 months at Voliro what are a bit the to-dos and the, maybe the don'ts. I've learned maybe more what, what you should not do or what, what might uh, um, not work or is a, is, a, is a risk. And then it was more kind of the luck that there was also Cyril and then later Jonas and we said like, hey, let's let's start it together. So it felt kind of the right timing um, right. To, to do it at this stage. Amazing. You mentioned three co-founders in total who started Mood Talk. Where did you meet them? Um, Siri and I, we had one class during the Zems Masters. So it's uh, well, re literally only one class. We had one project together and it kind of worked very well. Nice. Um, but then afterwards, we went different paths. So Siri went in the consulting uh, world. Yeah. But we once met, uh, so he was also part of this WhatsApp group and of, the, of these meetings. And we once met for a hike in Uri. He's also from central Switzerland. And during the hike, we talked about like what's up at work, etc. Mm -hmm. And then this was kind of the first spark where he said like, hey, uh, let's do that. And Jonas was a bit um, a random story because Siri and I, we started to with Mood Talk. And at one point we sold our first project or we won our first client. 
we realized, hey, yes, we can do some uh, Excel, some PowerPoint, <laughs> and some Figma, but uh, we sold uh, a software, right? Mm -hmm. And then we asked around in our network, and a friend of mine told me, hey, Jonas, he's working at Suva. He's a very good software engineer. Um, talk once with him, because I believe he wants to start something by himself. Yeah. And it was... Yeah, and then after a few beers, uh, we kind of uh, agreed <laughs> that we start together. Nice. But it was a good approach because you had like this kind of natural value filter when friends introduce you to their friends. And this was a great start. I fully agree. And I also like that you started with Cyril at university because I think that's a great playground to work with different people and see with whom do you actually match well? With whom do you work well? Where is a good fit in terms of skills and values and how you want to work together? And then, of course, the personal network to uh, find the missing third co-founder, so to speak. Exactly. So your website states that the founders know by experience how difficult it is to create a team environment in which people say or speak up you know, early and, and honestly. Which factors affect this psychological safety? <laughs> yeah, I believe there are many factors. Um, one, of course, is also your past experience in teams. So when you say once had the experience that you should not speak up and share openly your idea, your concerns or whatever. Yeah. Of course, it takes maybe a bit longer in a new team to to adjust this habit. Yeah. But then it's all about the trust level. It's all about the, the culture you have within the team. And I think the interesting factor with psychological safety, I think it takes quite a while to build it up, to establish this psychological safety, but you can destroy it within seconds, right? Um, so I think it's uh, almost, uh, <laughs> or it's also like interesting to discuss what does destroy psychological safety. But at the end, this is what we realized also with Mood Talk, it's a continuous process where you kind of, kind of dip your finger into the water once with a, an idea or a thought, and when you realize, yeah. hey, nothing happens, it even, gets appreciated, then mm -hmm. maybe you, on one point, you jump in, right? Yeah, of <laughs> so I think it's like this process and um, in some teams it works faster, right? And when you already have like a trust level, it's just a bit easier. But as already said, um, one new team member can affect psychological safety heavily and that's why it's a continuous process. So now, of course, you also want to know how do you solve or contribute to that with Mood Talk? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So for us, it's really like um, a software approach. Mm -hmm. uh, and the idea behind this, um, we often discuss at the beginning, should we be coaches? No. Or do we want to have a digital product that is kind of your companion? And we were quite sure or we are convinced it's the second thing is the right path mm -hmm. until you realize, hey, we cannot solve it by ourselves in the team. So yeah. until, and then the human factor needs to come in, a coach, an expert needs to come in and solve it. Mm -hmm. But this was a kind of the goal and how we solve it is really by a process, by a structure and by transparency. So what teams do with Mood Talk, they first write down specific rules of collaboration. So what is important for us to collaborate in a good way? And it always has like uh, several um, stages. It always starts with the very rational topics, meeting culture. What's mm -hmm. a good meeting for you, Silvan, right? And then so I said, like, there is an agenda, informations are shared in advance, yeah. and we do asynchronic uh, preparation, etc. And for many teams, this is kind of new to once define what is a good meeting. Because mm -hmm. many complaints are like, oh, we have so many useless meetings. Of course, yeah. Um, for example, the second uh, question is always, when should meeting take place? And for example, at Mood Talk, we agreed internal meetings are only in the afternoons. Um, but most of the companies or the teams, they have Monday morning at 10. <laughs> it's the weekly, um, the weekly meeting, right? Yeah. Everyone has uh, mails to do, preparing the week, and then there is this meeting, you're less motivated. And these kind of things are, are discussed. So you 
set down uh, or like you write down this set of rules, then also how do we give each other feedback? Mm-hmm. Um, what is quality, right? What is kind of a quality measurement for us? Yeah. What is appreciation for us? Many say like, I know appreciation is, is not very good in our team or whatever. Yeah, what is sure. it for you? Um, but then it also enters kind of more the, let's say, emotional well-being um, space where teams also define how do we react when we realized, hey, maybe Silvan is a bit overworked, right? Or I see something is going wrong. How do I approach this? And you kind of agree on this very transparent um, set of rules. Mm -hmm. And then what we do with our software, the team decides how often do we meet again to reflect about these rules? How do we follow them? But also to see what are the topics are around. And our software helps you to prepare that meeting Mm -hmm. because another very big challenge for teams is to be prepared for such meetings in general, because most of the time you enter, uh, most of the time then the leader says like, hey guys, um, how are you doing? And then it's like, yeah, it's a bit stressful, right? Mm-hmm. And then, then what can I solve? And so like, yeah, not much or very impulsive answers. Like, you know, the other team is no or never delivering this stuff on time, but it's in a very unstructured way. And yeah. especially takes teams around 30 up to 60 minutes to understand what are the problems we should discuss today. Yeah. I mean, if our software, everyone prepares asynchronic, what are the topics, like 60, 60 seconds, already share thoughts and ideas, and especially evaluate how do we follow our rules. Mm-hmm. And then our software creates kind of a, an agenda, uh, uh, the mood talk guide, and the, the, the moderator of this mood talk then can do in a very easy, simple way, prepare the meeting with our smart notes. So we generate questions, you can generate new questions, nice. we generate exercise, and is then prepared for the whole meeting. And especially during the meeting, the action points are against noted in our team chart or in our to-dos. Mm-hmm. And we can follow the process and show, hey, where did you improve during the last 12 months? Where is it still like yeah. a high potential? And hey, company, where do you have risks of productivity loss, of yeah. Sick, uh, sick leave risk or even fluctuation risk. So yeah, then it's course. the kind of the, the data approach in the background. And that's probably then also the return on investment where you have clear data to show the companies you work with, hey, we were able to reduce this by that amount. Exactly, exactly. Like that's why a company invest in this topic because yeah. they say for now it's a black box, right? Um, People always start, yes, you know, it's a very emotional human topic. And mm-hmm. I always say, yes, I agree, but we should measure it. We should have an approach yeah. because I always compare it to sales. Um, so like what we do is like we are kind of the hotspot, the CRM for the team development. Yeah. And in sales, it's all about human to human. Of course. But at the end, it helps you to have a software system that tracks, that gives you kind of uh, the exercise, the tasks you should do, that yeah. shows you, hey, we are behind schedule, we are below whatever. But nobody would ever say like, no, I do sales without a, a proper software nowadays. Absolutely. But like team development, team management, so it's like, yeah, I have one note, mm-hmm. there's my notes and that's it, right? Of course. And this is like where we where we bring the value in. I like that. What are other some of the quantifiable results that your customers report to you where mm-hmm. they see an improvement after using Talk? So like the first thing, this is kind of the quick win is team safe on average 12 hours per month. And like one of the main reasons is, first of all, they agree what are good meetings, what not. So yeah. that's already a, a big block. But then especially when do we have focus time? Uh, when can we interrupt each other? So they have this specific set of rules. How do we collaborate? Yeah. And that's a productivity boost. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of the first layer. But then especially we have cases where we could reduce fluctuation by more than 20%. Yeah. And the main reason is you realize early on in the team, 
through this full transparency, hey, what are a bit the topics here? But especially also within the, the whole organization can see, hey, information flow, huge issue. Yeah. Or, or last time it was um, giving or receiving feedback for apprentice, very difficult yeah. thing. Hey, we need to invest in a, in a class for that, right? Or um, uh, interdisciplinary collaboration doesn't work. We need to rethink the structure. Yeah. And through that, we can kind of react very early or the leaders can react very early. And the same counts for, for sick leaves, for especially on the mental health side, because yeah. whenever things pop up, people reflect and say like, hey, it's highest pressure. We always deliver a solution either in the team through the mood talk, mm -hmm. but if you don't dare to speak up that kind of topics, we have collaboration with mental health experts where we then just link to have a mood talk there. Nice. To me, this sounds like a no-brain. You know, I see the results, I understand what you're doing, but is it sometimes still a challenge to convince companies to make an investment in, in buying your software? Uh, yes, uh, of course, still. And I think there are a few reasons. Most of them are, it's almost always a cultural topic. No. So we have like a few companies that say like, we are not ready for this transparency. No. Because of course, especially for the leadership team, it can also hurt, right? Of course. Because you can see, hey, maybe we have so much potential here and I should improve that and that and that. And not everyone wants this transparency. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing, um, that's an even more like, a, let's say, leadership mindset uh, topic. They say, I believe my people don't want to talk about that. We huh. just want to work, right? We are here, look, they come here to the company, they just work and they're happy to leave at five again. And now I say like, I don't know many humans that say like, I don't care how we as a team interact yeah, and, and collaborate. So that's yeah. the, the, the second thing. And then the third, again, mindset question is, do we really need a tool for that? I know my people, right? I'm very close. You know, Loris, you're in the same office all the time. I look at Silvan's face and I know what's, what's happening yeah. there. And we always say like, then the comparators say like, yeah, but yeah, you also don't do sales without a CRM. You also don't do accounting without an accounting software. Of course you can do it all on paper and whatever. Sure, yeah. uh, it just takes a lot of time. So these are I, I see myself, <laughs> I, I see my business, you know, I know the accounting in my head. <laughs> exactly, exactly, right? And and that's, I think, the, are yeah. a bit the, the three big challenges because it's something rather new to use a software for that. Of course. Um, so that's, uh, let's say the educational side, but there are so many leaders, teams, companies say like, hey, this is exactly what we need. So. One interesting thing in, in that journey, when you do sales, when you pitch to companies, until I think two or three weeks ago, you didn't publicly state your price mm -hmm. for the software on your website. Mm -hmm. Why was that and why did you decide to now show it compared mm -hmm. to a few weeks and months ago? Yeah, it's an interesting evolution as well there because at the beginning, we had big discussion, what is our pricing model sure. at the end? Yeah. And we once first started with per seat, like every SaaS company does, so per license, per employee and whatever. And then at one point we realized, hey, no, we kind of sell packages to teams. So we do a per team fee. Nice. Um, and there was always our, our pitch kind of look, you pay now for a coach, for a seminar, like two and a half thousand for yeah. one afternoon. For this, you get mood talk for one year for your whole team. So we're kind of in this yeah. in, in this kind of setup. But then again, we realized, no, I think they don't really understand, or they then calculate in kind of team seats. Mm -hmm. But we have now also like some users that are in three or four mood talk teams. So we need a different model again. Nice. And that's why we switched and we said like, hey, we also understand what's the value we, we deliver. And 
it's so annoying to have software and you don't know the prices, right? We say like, right. hey, look, we are very transparent. We always charge the same. Yeah. Let's put it now on the web page and say like, hey, these are the big the different packages. But like the reason was it was kind of a bit the evolution of the pricing model. And whenever we thought like now we publish it, um, mm. let's do it. Uh, then it changed again or our hypothesis changed a bit. And now we also have the new web page and then it was the right timing. So. Which I think is also a very normal process. Mm -hmm. Any startup goes through pricing, especially mm -hmm. in B2B software, there's no real right or wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, it's mm -hmm. a bit of trying out and seeing what the market and the customers respond to. Yeah, and, and like the, the effect now three weeks later is, so I can recommend to everyone to do it, very transparent, yeah. because like it facilitates the whole buyer or the buying journey, yeah. <laughs> I would even say, because... People that think oh, we need to solve that issue, they go to the web page and the ones that say they are crazy to charge uh, seven or 14 Swiss francs per month per user, right? We are 50,000 people. That's incredible. <laughs> so that's already a filter there. Yeah. But then especially um, it also helps or it creates trust mm -hmm. because they know hey, they, they are very transparent. Um, sure. That's not like, okay, what what would you, what can I get out from Silvan? And, and this is yeah. now the pricing. So at the end, of course, always negotiation, but it helped a lot to have this transparent. Yeah. And and one thing I want to talk about is the perception from the outside, maybe even from your customers. Now, you could argue MoodTalk is sort of a meeting software, but also sort of a project management software. So what is it really? Is it a mix of the two or do you see it more in its own category? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like... Uh... I think that's a very good point because often at the, or like often less and less, but at the beginning it was always like, oh no, we already have a, a Miro or something like this, you know, we are very right. transparent. Or the other one, they say like our meeting software, we have OneNote. So that's kind of the, or, yeah. or, or, or teams in the, uh, MS teams in general. But what we really see at the end, we are like a strategic leadership tool. Uh, it's a team enablement software, this is how we call, call it, but on organizational level, it's literally like a, a management tool. Um, so and what we say with this is, it helps to first of all, feel the whole company. It doesn't matter on which hierarchical level you are. So on the mm -hmm. team level, you feel much better your team, you can approach and then enable and develop this kind of collaboration. Yeah. But especially on a higher level, you have like real time insights, what's bothering them, what's mm -hmm. working well in collaboration, where do we have potential? And often the outcome is we need a collaboration software, right? We need a Jira or we need a Miro or whatever, or we need to, but this is not what we offer. So it's, and on the other side, it's a meeting software to discuss the how, but not the meet. And if I say meeting software, people always think like to discuss the what, the technical to topics. Uh, and that's why if I say meeting software, I'm also a bit biased. So it's really like a meeting software for the how or a team uh, enablement software uh, that is used as a, as a management tool. At yeah. I, I see it also a bit of an alignment software, right? Mm -hmm. You make sure that the teams align and mm -hmm. work well together to really bring the performance they're supposed to bring. Yeah. And like, it's interesting. That's maybe also why we believe there is still the spot for mood talk because right. if you also look in the in the categories in in hr tech software it's employee experience softwares that's like the yeah. the main um category where we also are below it but it's interesting i last time discussed it with with an expert said like why is it always employee right why mm -hmm. always well, because we are collaborating in a team and yeah. and his input was our whole system is kind of set up from school is it's always about you 
you need to educate yourself. You need to learn how to do how to do. And then let's say in, in uh, university environment, etc. Yes, you have project works, but you never learn how to collaborate, right? It's just like yeah. you enter the room, you have this team meeting. The first one, you know, okay, these are the performance. This is the the the, the person that does uh, the presentation, and yeah. this person we need to kind of push through. Exactly. And and and, and then let's go, right? <laughs> Sounds f- familiar to my university <laughs> days. Uh, and that's why we believe we are really on this team level Mm -hmm. and uh, because there we see the biggest bottleneck it's not that we don't have skilled people Uh, you can have the best people in a room and the team sucks right and the project will fail and I think this is why it's really on the team we always empathize team enablement software I love that let's also talk about some challenges that you had to overcome or still face these Mm -hmm. days The first one is obvious. You know, you mentioned before you went out and then you won your first customer, basically, but you actually promised them software. So how do you go about building your first MVP and also really validating your business idea? How did that journey look like for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting one. Uh, It also shows some part is um, strategic approach process and the other one is a bit of luck, in my opinion. But what we did, so we had this kind of idea sprints every two weeks. And at one point we said like, hey, something, uh, collaboration, how do we collaborate? There is something. And we always started with interviews. So we had like then two weeks to interview. And then mm-hmm. we did a few interviews with like friends and network and whatever. And then we said like, hey, I think there is a huge need. We have it. We have this emotional, oh, that's the problem we want to solve. Yeah. And at the same time, we receive a feedback. So we said like, hey, let's do it in a very structured way. And we set up 100 interviews with 100 companies wow. during the next eight weeks. So we said, like, hey, now we go in. And our pitch was always to these people, we write a white paper, a study about the topic of collaboration, speaking up, etc. Yeah. And if you invest 35 minutes, we promise to give you, first of all, these insights from other 99 interview partners. But right. we're also going to pitch you a concept and approach how to solve it. Yeah. And then we had these interviews. And at the end, we went back to them and said, like, hey, look here. Do, let's do another meeting. This is our solution. Serial yeah. made the click of the prototype on Figma. Say, like, this is how, we, how it would look like. And then CSS, our first customer, was also our first interview we did in this eight <laughs> weeks process. I say, like, nice. I think this is what we need. Yeah. Um, and then the whole pitch process started. And similar went, it similar went with, with, with Oxbow, kind of mm-hmm. then the second big customer, and then also first friend. And this was kind of how we then could validate. And then we realized, Hey, now we talk about contracts. We don't have a company. <laughs> we are now looking for someone who built this uh, software. Yeah. And Syria and I, we were ready to do like kind of a smarter web page with Excel and uh, Power BI or something like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we found Jonas and then it was like kind of first cash flow and go. Yeah. I love this for two reasons. Because first of all, you went out there before building something. And second of all, you adapted, you learned, you interviewed a lot of people. 100 is a big number. That Mm -hmm. was an intense period, I assume. And then you actually sort of found the inbound interest, so to speak, where the first customer said, this is what we need. I think that's the way to do it. Yeah, And I think even on top, we could kind of test if we as a team work. Yeah, it's Um, fair, yeah. Because it's, of course, also kind of... Uh, testing phase, Serial was still working full-time, so consulting madness and on in the evenings and on weekends, mood talk, I already quit and that's like, I, I go all in. Um, but it really helped us also to test 
how do we collaborate as a team yeah. before we married. So it was yeah, the dating course. phase. And yeah. then at one point it's like, okay, let's do this uh, company. And it's also fair, you know, you don't need a company to do all mm -hmm. of that work. Mm -hmm. You only need a company once you need to sign a contract mm -hmm. and you have revenue coming in. Exactly. That's exactly. fantastic. So how do you then go from there, you know, first two big clients that you basically got through the interviews, how did you then switch the mode and say, okay, now we have a product, we have a great idea and understanding about what we're doing. Now we want to acquire more customers. Mm -hmm. How do you then sort of kickstart the sales initiative for Mootalk? Yeah, I mean, we started to sell very early in the sense of, okay, now we have these two, three clients. Uh, we test and need to learn a lot about the product. But we kind of said like, um, 2021 summer until end of the year, this is kind of the pilot phase where right. we also need to learn and, and adjust and understand the, the need a bit better. And we said like, we're going to go live in January 2022. And of course, already before we started to do outreach, etc. Yeah. But we, I mean, one need was we needed cash, right? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so we just kind of didn't pay any salary. We were then, uh, Siri and I both, both full-time already on it. Jonas was part-time on it, but was ready to quit as well. So we said like, okay, it's a, uh, I moved back home. I said, like, okay, reduce all the fixed costs, whatever you can. Um, uh, and, and then this was kind of the pressure. I said, like, we cannot do just now a long development phase without having cash flow. Yeah. And it was always our, in, or like our number one rule. We only do um, projects if they pay for it because it's kind yeah. of a validation criteria. Uh, most of the time it was, uh, we delivered more value than uh, what, what we asked for. But this was fantastic also then to learn, hey, how do they allocate this budget? Because there is no budget for Mutok. In most yeah. of the companies, they're like, oh, yeah, we need to do something there. But it's not like, oh, we need an accounting system. Okay, Mutok, let's go. Yeah, sure. So this was kind of then the, the way. But we, yeah, we realized from day one, we need to sell. And, and there, I have so many follow-up questions <laughs> on this one. Because the first customers you acquired, you didn't have any software yet, obviously. So what was sort of the deal with them? Did he say... Hey, we're now gonna, you know, build that. We're gonna ask you for input in the pilot phase, but you're only gonna be charged from January 2022 onwards. What was sort of the deal with the first customers? Because you didn't have a usable product mm -hmm. yet. Yeah, I mean, the deal was we have the software ready. So, yeah. um, and we said like, look, we know what we have to do. The concept and everything is is set up. Sure. We already show you this clickable prototype. So now it's the implementation time. And Jonas also already started to kind of set up the first base. Mm -hmm. And we said like, okay, until it was, I think, end of August, beginning of September, this thing will go live. Yeah. But we also knew they need some time to set up the whole thing. So like it was, sure. I think, 14 sales teams, uh, communication, whatever. Yeah. And then the first part was much more on the concept side. Mm -hmm. How do we market it internally, uh, the kind of uh, yeah. onboarding setup, etc. And we knew, okay, this will work for, for the, the first prototype. But at the beginning, like it was a lot of static PDF uploaded in our software. So the team chart was literally a PowerPoint they filled out. We uploaded on our uh, uh, software <laughs> and then you could see there the thing. And when they wanted to change something, they needed to text here and say like, hey, we need to change that. Okay, let's change yeah. it. And of course, today it's like a fully integrated digital and, and whatever. Yeah. So it was literally a... MVP, I would say. A real MVP. <laughs> a real MVP. But it solved the problem. And it solved the problem. Degree. But yeah. they paid from the beginning on because he yeah. said, like, look at the beginning, the product has already a lot of value, but also our concept and kind of our service sure. to you yeah. has a lot of value. So it was kind of the deal. And from them, I always say to 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 CSS and, and, and Oxman first, it's like, 
in my opinion, one of the best innovation stories that was pushed from yeah. the line managers. It was not the HR, it was not the innovation department. It's like yeah. a line manager says, we have this issue and let's go. And this kind of gave us a lot of trust, first yeah. of all. Uh, but also it shows kind of, hey, the line managers, if they have a need, they can push it through, even then now on a, on a group level. Yeah. So I think it was a win-win. And then you know you're solving a very relevant problem, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With these first customers, did they pay you the full amount that you would charge today? Or was there some sort of discount involved, officially or unofficially? No, uh, no discount at this stage was just like the pricing we had at this uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> at this stage there. Um, of course, it was then a lot of negotiation as well. Uh, but like it was literally our pricing model. And I think that's the interesting thing with Mood Talk. The return on investment is a no-brainer. Yeah. If you can kind of really make sure that someone doesn't leave the computer only six months later or someone is not on a sick leave or we are we save 12 hours a, a month yeah. or even two hours a month, to be honest, yeah. it's a no-brainer. Let's do it. So like there was not too much negotiation push. And I think from their side, it was kind of also their, in my opinion, st- startup boosters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where they say like, hey, yeah, we understand you invest a lot of time. Um, we want to support you there as well, right? So it was this yeah. kind of um, um, yeah, loyalty, promise and deal. Fantastic. I think Switzerland is a great starting point for having this relationship compared to other markets, I, I guess. Yeah, and you have like... I often think in like this is the crazy thing you get so much support yeah. uh, and in all the companies there's so many entrepreneurs that are kind of yeah. just in their daily corporate routine but they are fascinating about new technology new approaches and they say like hey if I can support that, let's try our best because it solves a problem for me. Yeah. And yes, there is a risk, right? I mean, yeah. what's the upside for a line manager or a, or a area division leader to start with Mutog? Upside is yes, maybe I solve a problem, but nobody will tell me, hey, this was super that you solved yeah. that now. Yeah. The downside is quite high in my opinion. You can say like, hey, you brought in a software that, that kind of <laughs> fucked up. We invested so much time and money into that. Yeah. huh? And I think that's the fascinating thing that there are always these kind of promoters uh, that are fascinated about technology, innovation, and, and new approaches. Luckily. Luckily, yes. luckily. I also want to talk about going full-time. So you moved back to your parents' place. I did the same when I started my first company. So it sounds very familiar. When did you really decide to go full-time on Mood Talk? Was that very early on when you already did the survey or was the survey sort of the tipping point where you said, okay, <clears throat> This looks promising. Now we go in full time. Mm-hmm. For me, it was very like I think it's three different stories for us three co-founders. Yeah. So for me, it was very early. I said like, "Hey, look, I'm ready. I feel the urge, uh, ready to go." I could have stayed longer at Voliro. It was uh, interesting and fat- fantastic. But I was like, "Hey, it kind of feels like also the right time." Mm-hmm. And at the circumstance, I have some money on the side, right? Uh, my fixed yeah. costs are still quite low. No family, no no pet, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of me. Um, <laughs> And then I decided, okay, I quit. So I left Volira, I think was January 2021 or so. So quite early, mm-hmm. even before, like before this research phase. Yeah. For Cyril, he still worked part-time um, and then kind of took this entrepreneurial leave or sabbatical, like six yeah. months, you can go full all in and then decide, do I come back or not? And with Jonas, it took a while because we realized at the beginning, 
we need to do so much research and understand what do the customer really need and yeah. we cannot just build. So of we were course. quite convinced the bottleneck at the moment is not our engineering capacity. It's yeah. much more knowing what exactly do they want. So that's why Jonas was still um, while working for Suva yeah. and only joined 20, April 2022. Okay. So quite, quite, quite a while. Yeah. Nice. And I wonder, you know, now everything sounds sort of easy from the outside mm. perspective, but was there ever a point where you said, shit, this is not going to work. Let's stop. I go back to my job. We're done with the startup. Um, I think not in this extreme. Uh, but of course, I mean, whenever some after sales call, whenever they say, no, I feel like, fuck, what are we doing here? Right? Yeah. <laughs> so of yeah. course, you have always these small things or when something doesn't work as planned or when we cannot roll out as fast as planned, there are always these kind of things where I say like, is it already what they really need outside? Uh, mm -hmm. I still believe there is a lot of potential. So I would not say... Yeah. everything solved and go like yeah. with every startup um but i think this is the interesting thing we discussed it also in our internal mood talks being three co-founders it's always like most of the time one is in the high and says like yes we released now this rock and roll we integrated that one is like kind of neutral uh -huh. and one is maybe in the low but when you're three the chances that all are in the low kind of yep. balances out. So then I call Cyril and say like, hey, no worries, look, this and this works fantastic. And I'm like, oh yeah, let's let's go back. Yep. So this kind of ha helped. So that's why, in my opinion, maybe Cyril Jonas says something different. We were not, never at this point. I, I love that because it shows how important co-founders are to mm -hmm. really push through when times get difficult. Mm -hmm, 100%. There are two more things I want to talk about. One, you briefly mentioned with the activation of your customers. Because it's one thing to sell the software to the customer, right? But then you have people that you might not ever have had direct contact with or just with the team lead or whomever. Mm -hmm. So once you have sold the software, you then need to activate them to make sure that they know about the software, mm -hmm. that they use it. And that can be a challenge. Mm -hmm. How do you solve that? Yeah, for us, it's at this stage. It's also a lot of discussion we have from, from time to time. Can we kind of fully automate that? So they just come, click and go. Mm -hmm. Or do we still invest in kind of a personal onboarding? And we are at the moment um, doing the personal onboarding approach. It's yeah. all virtual in the sense of uh, calls and go. Sure. But it's all about kind of first understanding what's the problem we want to solve in this team, right? Or what's yeah. the potential we can solve? And like within half an hour, you know, okay, we do this and this and this, like yeah. in that approach. And then it's a short team kickoff. So when you convince the team lead, then it goes into the, the teams. Yeah. And there it's really setting up the product. Got and it. it's, of course, also charged. And we also see this very personal onboarding setup approach increases at the end also the, the, the retention mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and the usage rate heavily. So we believe it's a very good approach at this stage. Yeah. Um, of course, some people then say, ah, oh, not fully scalable, etc." But I believe every good product needs kind of a setup phase. Yeah. And for us, it's just like the way we, we set up the, the, the product in a very personal way. But still, you, you have to invest more into the retention, I assume, because the initial spark can fade out pretty fast. So what do you do when customers stop using the product or don't use it as it's supposed to be yeah. used. I mean, that's then uh, heavily automated. So the system understands, is it how the software should be used? One example is if the team charter rules are never kind of um, adjusted or add, no new rules are added, we realize, hey, 
they have this too static. So it means they don't really find so because the chances that the team charter can be static and works, it's very low because yeah. new people enter, the situation changes. So they sh they ha it has to be a dynamic tool. Yeah. And like that's one factor. Then also um, how many comments are written. So there are kind of some data pattern where we realize, mm -hmm. I believe they're not using it the right way. And then of course, it's kind of automatic push. Say like, hey, this and this could be some recommendations how to change it. Yeah. And then we, if this has kind of this escalation um, scale where you see, hey, there we believe the customer doesn't get out the full value. Yeah. And then you have internal solutions you can do or then through the software or then us again entering the, the show. So these are then, yeah. but this is highly optimized. Cool, I like that. And the last part I want to talk about in terms of challenges is you mentioned you need money, right? To then develop and grow and invest in your company. You want business angels, but also the InnoFund as investors. First of all, when did he decide that it was the right timing to get investors on board? Already beginning because at the like we started and then like after what was it one year plus minus we said like hey we would be open for a for a convertible loan agreement. Mm -hmm. But how we did it, um, like very very early on, we created our advisory board because we said look we have accounting finance background and we have IT background. But most of the people say, like, you have no idea about team enablement, team development, fair, yeah, uh, HR, psychology and whatever. So that's why very early on we created this advisory board um, with HR experts, uh, psychologists, researchers, managers, etc. And we always told them, hey, look, we literally don't have money to pay you anything at this stage. Okay. But we promise whenever we do a financing round, you're the first ones to, to learn about it. Nice. So the option, we gave them the option. You, you didn't even give them free shares. You no. just give them the option to invest. Yeah. I and, love that. And, and, and also there our approach was if you're only incentivized by financial return or ownership, yeah. then maybe we're not the right ones, right? Yeah. Uh, because we know it will be big. But then maybe this is the, you should be fascinated about the topic, about the impact. And this was fantastic because we had so such great discussion about the topic. We got so much support from this advisory board. And then there was the moment we said like, hey, you can invest. These are the terms. Let's do it. And, and they also did. But then at one point we realized, hey, I believe it was the worst time. Like if you look now at the fundraising uh, timeline. Yeah. But we always said like, look, I mean, they talk about larger companies. We are a small one. We are a growing one. We see that there is the, the potential. Let's still go out yeah. because we believe it's really the first time we can foresee the bottlenecks. Because until then, it was little salary. Money was not the bottleneck. We said like, we could also proceed, but we see we know what to solve. Uh, we know we need more engineering power. We know we need more marketing sales power. Yeah. So now it's the time, if they give us money, we know what to do. Before it was more like, should we now hire uh, another <laughs> software engineer? Maybe, but we yeah. are not 100% sure what to build. And this was then kind of the moment to go out and then started the whole process. And that's also the right motivation to do so, I feel, because if you just take money for the sake of having money, mm -hmm. but you don't know what to do for mm -hmm. with it, mm -hmm. that would be such a waste of your company's mm -hmm. equity. But there was like, um, I think now it changed a bit, but sometimes there was literally a bit the spirit or also the question, why are you not raising money, right? And we said, Fair, like, yeah, uh, <laughs> well, yeah I, I get the point that you could help and reduce yeah. a bit of... Uh, um, our uh, cash flow uh, restrictions, but for what, right? At the end, you sell part of the company. We also said like, 
we will not celebrate this investment round because at the end <laughs> it also of course you have new partners so this is the celebration time yeah. but we also believe hey if you have a cash flow positive business yeah. bootstrapping might be also a very interesting path so Absolutely. this is a bit uh, the relationship we have with the investments <laughs> have you ever regretted taking on investors no it's fantastic like on of course it increases the pressure on another level, I yeah. would say. Before it was always the parents say, like, oh, do you still have money, right? Yeah. <laughs> say, like, what exactly do you do? Can this even work? Huh? Tell me when you need some money, right? If you yeah. don't can pay your rent or whatever anymore. And now it's just a different, but it, first of all, we have great investors that support us so much. So on, on all the levels, um, great conversations, but also it is kind of a boost to professionalize whatever we do internally. Yeah. So. No, we are super happy also with the board of directors we have. Um, and it's just, yeah, fantastic to also feel that support on the financial side, but then also on the emotional side sometimes. Yeah. sometimes. Amazing. So you have funds, you have clients, the future seems very bright. What are some of the next milestones that you look forward to? More customers, but I'm also the, the sales opinion, right? <laughs> I mean, at the end, the thing only works and uh, if you have more customers and more revenue. So it's yeah. all about acquiring more customers in the verticals. We are already active, but we are now testing new verticals. We have first kind of teams, companies that are also abroad, so kind of to internationalize. And uh, that's, of course, the big push. Mm -hmm. Product side, of course, also there are so many um to do's we have uh more and more also integration of the whole um ai gpt chat gpt uh, potential yeah. and i think for our use case it's highly interesting I and mean, we're using already such interesting use cases for that and then of course on one point also um investing in our team uh, that we stay as we are at the moment in the sense of how we collaborate but when you're growing it also means to to invest more and more and uh, this i think will be a next milestone to have like yeah, still a very stable good working team when you're also also bigger but at the end it's all about selling more uh, number one <laughs> and then number two have a, a even better product at this stage yeah. but still of course manage so it doesn't sound that everything works. Uh, it sounds very good, but of course, hundreds of challenges uh, around. And um, But if you have customers, if you have revenue, many problems are solved. So that's a bit our hypothesis. I agree. <laughs> Mark Cuban once said that very nicely. He said, sales cures it all. Exactly. I and then that. also uh, investors are happy, board yeah. of directors are happy, employees are happy. Of course. So, uh, but of course, also the biggest challenge. So keep selling. <laughs> keep selling. That's the way to go. So, Loris, to wrap up the conversation today, we also have some rapid fire questions for you. I'm just going to ask you a question or give you different options to choose from, and you have to answer in one sentence. Mm -hmm. You ready? Yes, ready. Let's go. Is the Mood Talk team the best team you've ever been a part of? Yes. Uh, let's say the one, there are two very great teams. One was uh, the football team when I was <laughs> 15, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that was a fantastic team. Yeah, On sure. a professional side, 100% the Mutok team, yes. Great. Are you more of an early bird or a night owl? Early bird. When do you get up? Normally, it's always at six. That's a yeah. bit my, my plan. And then uh, yeah, starting at 6.30. But I'm also, like, what I cannot handle is, like, this super, super late night. They are situations where you have to do it literally yeah um but i just also know that the next day i'm gonna regret it of so um, and i'm a power napper for lunchtime so nice. that's uh, the second approach that's your secret weapon a secret weapon is power naps 
do you make decisions better alone or in a group? I think then literally making or deciding in a group, but the whole thought process much better by myself. So okay. kind of this impulsive, I just come in a room and discuss and then I have an idea and make a good decision can work, but most of the time it's kind of a thought process yeah. and then a team discussion and then a team decision. So yeah. kind of uh, sequential. Nice. Asia or Europe? Um, definitely Europe. Uh, if you would have asked me after I came back home from China, I would have said, not even Asia, I would have said China. Okay. <laughs> but I think um, with a bit more distance, I think Europe is just paradise, uh, different cultures, uh, huge opportunities. Uh, of course, Switzerland is a crazy bubble on, on top of that. Yeah, yeah. But I believe in the, even if there are many reports that are a bit against it, I believe in the future of uh, Europe, in a strong Europe. And um, I see many challenges in Asia and especially China. And the last one for you today, should you have jumped straight into entrepreneurship by really you know, starting your own company? right after your studies or was it good to have waited and sort of first studied and learned entrepreneurship by joining a startup? I think the second one, yeah. like joining another startup and I think joining a startup in the right phase for your personal development. Um, I think this was for me fantastic. On one side, first of all, it gives you some cash flow. <laughs> so yeah. you earn some okay salary, right? <laughs> Depending on your lifestyle, you can put some money on the side that gives you some buffer to invest in for your own thing. But especially the learnings, the the connections and everything around, it helps to be already in another startup. And then also call, for example, I often talk with Timo von Volier and say like, hey, how, how, how do you solve that? How did exactly. you do that? Do you have a template for that? And then, yeah. and then, so this helps a lot, I think. I fully agree. Loris, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're really excited to follow your journey closely along and all the best for the future and lots of success. Yeah, thank you, Silvan, and uh, let's move talk soon. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs. <laughs>